second part of episode nine of the Gray Matter Radio Hour. I'm your not-so-humble host, Mr. E, and back with me today to continue our conversation is the incredibly gifted songwriter, singer, performer, and stand-up comedian, also collaborator, friend and sidekick to Andy Kaufman, the dynamic and surreal comedy legend and self-described song and dance man. I've been very lucky to also call her a dear personal friend of mine for many, many years. Here she is, Miss Wendy Pauland, ladies and gentlemen, otherwise known as Little Wendy. <laughs> Release the Kraken! <laughs> Welcome back, and thanks for bringing your little doggies into our virtual studio. The more, the merrier. Now, I'm not exactly sure where we left off, but I wanted to get back to your high school days, maybe junior high, I don't know, but you told me something very interesting. We talk about the old-time TV shows that we all grew up with. Yeah. You know, the, you know Leave it to Beaver, and, and you know I mentioned that I don't know if you know this, but he lives across the street from me now. What? I, yeah, Jerry Mathers lives across the street from me. And um, I was outside. Uh, there's a, one, of my, one of our earlier podcasts I talk about seeing a UFO <laughs> and filming a UFO out in the middle of the street. And I turn around, and there's Jerry Mathers oh doing the same. <laughs> We're the only people out in the street filming this thing. So did he see it too? Well, the listeners may have already heard this story, but I think he got out there late. Like, it turned out that it was a SpaceX launch, you know. Oh, wow. And if you look, you know, it was sunset, so the contrail from the rocket was, had this really cool pattern in the sky, and, and uh, there were these three lights that were in the sky traveling along, and uh, it, a lot of the UFOs are triangle-shaped, and they have a light on each corner. So I'm watching this thing going, that looks like a UFO, and it had the, these big contrails behind them, and... They were lit up in the sky, but I think it turned out it was a SpaceX launch, but we didn't know it at the time, you know, Ooh. so I, when I got done filming it, I turned around, there's Jerry Mathers, like, 30, <laughs> about 30 feet away from me, so I, like, I went, did you see that? I said, I think that was a UFO. What did he, he say? He, he said, he just kind of looked a little confused, like, he had been taking pictures of the contrail that oh. it left behind, but I think he didn't see the lights that I saw. I think he came out late. And I said, I got it on video. You want to see it? And he's like, yeah. So I went up and showed it to him. And he was like, yeah, wow. That's, you know. But it was just so odd that of all people to be standing out in the street. And we were the only two people out there. Did you, um, so have you kept up a, a relationship, friendship or anything? I mean, and Not really. I'm sure he's been pawed to death. Probably. Since he was like six years old. Like people, yeah. oh, oh, look, it's Beaver. You know, and all these people. Yeah. Can we get a picture? You know, I just don't like being part of that crowd. Sure. Yeah. No. So I give oh, him his he, privacy. You know, I want to go over to his house and knock on the door and go, "Hey, wow, can you do the beaver?" You know, like you yeah. know, I want to. I want to be just as stupid as anybody, but I, I, I kind of try to keep it in check because I know absolutely. he's not into it. You know. Right. Now, now, did you know that he lived there before? Um, be, before you saw him that night. Yes. Um, when we moved in, our landlady told me as we were moving in. Oh, wow. But, but the weird thing is, talk about parallelisms, Wendy. Uh-huh. My whole life out here in L.A., I've been saying, I want to live in a leave-it-to-beaver neighborhood because it's so hard to find. I kept saying, I said this all the time to my friends. I just, and Glendale was the closest thing I could find. I just want something normal, average, you know, quiet. And so when we were moving in, my landlady goes, oh, and by the way, I think the, the beaver lives right down. I was like, what are you talking about? The beaver lives down the street. And she, she says, hey, he lives across the street. 
And I said, you mean leave it to Beaver? Yeah, she goes, she, she goes it's from that, that, that show from the 60s, you know? And I was like, I, it took me a while to figure out what she was talking about. She didn't know his, I don't think she knew his actual name. And I said, do you mean leave it to Beaver? And she goes, yeah, yeah, that's it. I said, you mean Jerry Mathers lives across the street? And she was like, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's his name. I was like, oh my God. So when I got, when I moved in here, I started, I had a, video interviewing i started a video interview uh business where i would interview people about their lives oh wow and so i started tried to start a little company like that because my wife told me oh i, I want to interview people i like talking to people and i like doing this and blah, blah blah so i was trying to build a business we could do together and um so i thought okay you can interview the people i'll do all the editing and you know the filming and the technical stuff and so I got it all set up, and then my wife just backed out of it. So, um, so I was stuck with all this, you know, equipment that I bought, and all the time I'd put into making logos and getting it all set up. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll call Jerry Mathers and then offer to do one for him for free, so that hopefully he'll allow me to use it for promotional purposes. So I started emailing him. And he was really nice. I mean, he responded, and he was very cordial and kind, and was understanding. And but he kind of let me down <laughs> easy. He said, "I just got to let you know." He said, "My brother is a videographer, and mm -hmm. he's been my archivist since I was what four, six years old, whenever he was on the show." So, so his brother's been filming him and his his life since he was a kid. And he says, "So basically, he was letting me know." I've had enough being, you know, my life being in, you know, on film. He's the last person that needs publicity. I mean, his show's still in syndication, still yeah. shown worldwide. So um, yeah, um, I mean, there's probably nobody that I mean, probably, probably everybody knows. Leave it to Beaver. Is it him, Osmond, who played Eddie Haskell, just passed away recently? Yeah, you know, we've been talking about these earlier shows on our podcast. And we joke about them like Green Acres, and you yeah. know, I just saw that. I, th I think I saw it yesterday. I saw his picture pop up when I was looking at something else, and he died in what uh, was it August or April or it recent this year. Saying yes, it feels recent somehow, but I don't know what what it was from or anything. Yeah, I think he became a LAPD for a while. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Which is so odd. I mean, the bad boy of Leave It to Beaver becomes a cop. Like, like what? Can I have your autograph? <laughs> that's right. Like when Gopher became, what did Gopher become from Love Boat? He became like a, a set. I don't know, not a senator, but something political. It, it's weird when they become something normal. I know it is, huh? In their character, yeah. Um, oh, well, one reason I brought up those old shows because you told me something that blew my mind one day about you. Not only did you know both of the guys from My Three Sons. Oh, Stan my, Livingston and his sis, and um, Ernie Livingston. It was Barry. Barry Livingston. Yeah, he played Ernie. <laughs> he did. Yeah, and so. Um, I looked so much like Ernie when I was a kid, a little kid. Yes, that's right. I had, I had the horn rim glasses. I had the same haircut. I had buck teeth. I oh. looked just like that kid. Yeah, and I so, just don't see that. <laughs> and so my parent, people would say, is that, they'd point to me and they'd go, they'd be talking to my parents and they'd point to me and go, is that Ernie from My Free Sons? Oh, and and they, would, so they would say cute. yes. They oh, would say yes. <laughs> and so uh, when you told me i mean i grew up like with that whole stigma and when you told me you actually knew them and then you told me you dated them i was i think i was 11 either no i was probably 12 and stanley livingston was 11. i hung out with kind of a bad crowd of girls i was very shy and my best friend dumped me i I just loved her, you know, and she just found a, a new better friend. And I, I actually don't blame her. How dare you insult yourself in front of me? <laughs> well, I, you know, so I just took whatever was around. I wasn't so great at making friends. And, and my friends, well, I don't even know why I'm getting into all that. But we would go, I guess I would kind of do bad things. Like 
I would sneak on a bus up to Hollywood and then go there. We'd sneak into the movie theater in Hollywood. I forgot which movie. The Pix Theater, P-I-X, on Hollywood Boulevard. Now, were you supposed to be in school at this time? Oh, no, this, this was oh. on a weekend, at least. Although, okay. believe me, I, I, you know, cut class two and stuff. But anyway, st- uh, and I'll blame my bad friends. <laughs> I okay. Broke. And then, like, we'd go to the, the ice cream machine, which was just like, it's like a, sort of like a, well, like you open a little door. <laughs> I'm laughing. I don't. And, and there's like these ice cream. Shows. What? I'm sorry. I guess it's so embarrassing. Like, like they. Oh God. Okay. So, so they'd have like these little ice creams. You're making me laugh. I don't even know what you're talking about. Laughing. Me too. I can't even say it. Like I would steal, we would just open the little door. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, and help ourselves. You know, I'm just saying, I would have a whole. (laughs) Wait a minute, where are you, at the theater? At the theater, I'm saying. You'd steal their ice cream? Yes, because it wasn't like at a concession stand. I'm just saying. (laughs) The whole day, I'm listening to myself. I, I didn't think anything of it, but you know, I'd go, I'd sneak on the bus, I'd sneak in the movie, I'd steal the ice cream. We go inside the girls' bathroom and smoke. I mean, and I, I couldn't smoke, but I found this way. If you poke a little hole with a pin, and so I took a pin with me. Someone showed me. If you poke little holes uh, right above the, um, right above the filter. The smoke didn't hurt because I, I, I've never had good lungs and I, I couldn't smoke, but I was hanging around with the bad girls, you know, so like I had to do You that. had to, yeah. I, well, I mean, if I'm sneaking in movie theaters and stealing ice cream, you know, that says something about me too. It's, I can't blame everything on their friends, but. Um, Somebody had to start it. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, somehow. I met Stan Livingston in the actual theater when we actually went in to watch the movie. And the movie was always the least thing I was interested in, you know, and so I don't know how it even happened, but like we would go out, you know, he he would call me, he bought me this great big stuffed animal dog and I named it Presume because from Stanley Livingston, I presume, you know, he's like that explorer. Oh, that's cute. And then we would go to the beach. I mean, we would always have like his parents, I I think his mom would be there, but we also went to another, we went to a movie theater and I want to call him Ernie, but um, what was his name? Mar- Bar- Barry. Barry. Yeah. Barry. Yeah. I know because my be- my best friend when I was a kid that age was named Barry. I was just so shy, though. I mean, I sound like I was a very fast person, you know, going on a date when I was twelve. But like, I I was so you know I would I would sit in the movie Frozen. I was sitting in between the two boys, you know, and and like I was I I mean I I just. That could have gone hor- horribly wrong, Wendy. <laughs> it, it could have, but, <laughs> but you know, that was probably the last date I had with him. I mean, I, I really was shy and it just was, I mean, he wouldn't even know me from Adam now. Well, um, so that's Chip is, is yeah, Stanley. Chip. Chip was, the Chip character was Stanley. Yeah, so yeah. Was, he's older than you, right? No, he was, he was, he was younger because I just remember, I think I was, 12 and he was 11 so i think he's younger well then his, I, I, his, then, er, then ernie barry would have been much smaller right yeah he was much smaller yeah he was oh, when you told me you dated him i i thought y'all were about the same age and i figured chip was older yeah i dated chip but ernie i mean barry came on one date with us to the movies that the parents probably wanted to go do something so they said just take your brother with you Exactly. <laughs> they used to, used to make my sister take me me along everywhere she went. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's not like anything was going to happen anyway, you know, even, even whether... 11, yeah, I know. 
<laughs> I mean, he hasn't even entered puberty yet, so exactly. you're probably pretty safe. Yeah. <laughs> so I won't go into the sordid details of what happened during that movie theater escapade. Absolutely but nothing. But you did get a stuffed dog out of it. <laughs> Barry, why don't you go get us some popcorn? And he knows the line's like two hours long. And you know, the funny thing is, I never saw the show, so I did until after. We didn't officially break up. I guess he just never called me again or something. But like, I didn't even know who he was, but I was with my friends. And, and I guess he was in the row ahead of us or behind us. And somehow we just struck up a conversation and, and went out a few times. Like I said, either we would either go in a taxi or his mother. I even remember where he lived, which he doesn't now. He lived on Crescent Heights, just below Santa Monica, and then I heard he lived in Laurel Canyon and made stained glass. That's the last I heard of him. Really? So I wonder if that was when all the rock stars were up there. He's probably making stained glass for Joni Mitchell. Oh, maybe so. Yeah, probably so. I don't think he ever did anything after My Three Sons. I know Barry did. Barry continued to act. I think he... He, he still a, does, doesn't he? Oh, maybe so. Maybe. I, I saw a picture of him on the internet, how he looks now. Oh, what? Do he look like you? He does, but he doesn't have any hair. What? L luckily, I've still got a few barnacles up there. Or what do you, what do you call oh, you Not barnacles. <laughs> barnacles are on the inside, but follicles. Hair oh, follicles. That shows you how well my brain's working right now. Like, but, I can't imagine him without hair. But he's, you know, uh, he still, to me, he still resembles me somehow. I don't know why, but I, I don't know if you saw that Facebook post I put online with, of my family, my Hollywood family. No. My, my family reminds me, maybe because I spent so much time in front of the television set, uh -huh. watching the old shows like Gunsmoke and, you know, uh, that girl and all you know, Marlo Thomas and you know all those old you know those TV sitcoms I just when I would see one person that reminded me of another person in my mind they would just almost be the same person so my dad was Ed Asner for absolute sure he looks so much like Ed Asner wow. that in Mary Tyler Moore show sure. and he acts like him too he's that he's that gruff oh, wow. kind of surly yeah. And he looks almost, they could almost be twins. They look so oh, much alike. My dad looks just like Ed Asner. And so, particularly at that period of time. And so, so um, but my dad's personality, the younger Hollywood version of my family was all in the family, Archie Bunker. That was my dad. So yeah. I've, got, I've got two sets of my Hollywood family. One is the younger set. And then these older sets. So my dad goes from being Archie Bunker in the younger set to being Ed Asner in the older set. My mom goes from being Lucille Ball in the first in the younger set. Wow. She was very pretty. My mom was very attractive and wow. funny and wacky. So I watch Lucille Ball. I think I'm watching my mom. So she went from Lucille Ball to Edith Bunker. So oh my gosh, that's interesting. So it's Ed Asner and Edith Bunker. So then in my early Hollywood family, my brothers are Joe Cartwright, Little Joe. Your kid, and, oh, and my, oh, wow. And my other brother is Hoss. Then switching to my older Hollywood family, my older brother turns in from Little Joe, he becomes Johnny Carson. And my, my younger brother goes from Hoss to George Costanza in later life. So I've got Johnny Carson and George Costanza, oh, Edith Bunker, and Ed Asner. So that's the that's the... My parents and the two boys, and then my sisters are my my older sister is always Cher. She's the younger version, you know, young Cher, and then old Cher, and then she's the brunette, you know, the long hair brunette, lots of jewelry, big personality. She always reminded me of Cher, and then my younger sister reminds me of Gidget. Yes. Yeah, I can totally see yeah, that. Yeah, very cheery and, you know, bubbly and yeah. looks like her, and she she goes from Gidget. Uh, Sally Fields, and she turns into Mary Tyler Moore. Okay, um, wow. So, and then I'm Ernie in both cases, you know, wow. from my from my three sons, the little guy, and then the older Barry Livingston now. And apparently, according to IMDb, he's 
still working. It's got a, like 150 movie credits. And as another parallelism, I just noticed that, oddly enough, his birthday also happens to be the day after mine. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I see you as, as um, Mary Livingston. Well, as, a, as a young kid, I was, I was yeah. a dead ringer. Yes. Yeah, Buck teeth and all. <laughs> so anyway, sorry to get off on that crazy no. tangent. I was just curious if anyone else may have seen their family members resembled in certain TV characters. But getting back, I couldn't believe you had a relationship with two characters from one of my favorite childhood sitcoms, and particularly with the one who I was always mistaken for. Obviously, you didn't date Barry. No, He was no. a little shrimp. Yeah, I don't even know but, how old he was. <laughs> Maybe nine or seven. He was a little chaperone. Yeah, yeah, he was a little chaperone. Uh, just as cute as could be, though. Oh, so okay. darling. He, didn't, he probably didn't say two words to me or anything. But it, then again, I was very shy, too. Yeah. I yeah. I, well, I mean, yeah. uh, Stanley sure latched on to you, sounds like. Somehow, he had, his family was really sweet. I, I, only, I don't remember a dad, just the mom and an aunt, I think. Um, and I just remember going to the beach with them. And I, The family? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, well because, because, I mean, we were so young. Someone had to drive us, and I guess they just happened to be going to the beach, and maybe he said, do you want to take that girl or something? I, don't, I really don't remember. It was just... I mean, gosh, that's the same age I was when I wrote the bird song. I oh, mean, though, I mean, how, how, how cool is that, that you didn't even know he was a TV star? I, I mean, the, the, the people that I was with knew, and, and they probably said, hey, that's so-and-so from something, and I guess I was impressed and stuff, but, like, I, I had never seen the show, and, and, and I don't think I watched it when, I, when we would go places, you know. I, I think I only saw it after, um, but... Yeah, so I, I I sure didn't know who he was. Wow, and you met him in the movie. Yeah, we were such little hooligans. We, I mean, they they were like bad girls. I get greasers. They used to call them. Did you ah. have that term? At your yeah, school? well, yeah. I thought that only applied to guys that slicked their hair back with drill cream. Yeah, yeah, they were the guys, and, and oh, and these girls would make out with them. Oh. You know, Stanley probably liked me because I was probably the only one who wasn't picking up with a guy because, like, I didn't do anything like that, you know. Oh, and right. So, but that, oh my God, I, they were fat. You were you, not you were you were unconquered territory. Totally. Oh was, my gosh. Yeah. It was, the, totally. it was a quest for him. He was like, I will have her one day. And he didn't. I mean, he had my company, but you know, I, I was. I didn't do anything till I, I, I was afraid of boys really. Cause my, you know, I had, I lived in a home full of nothing but females, the dog, my sister, my mom, you know? Oh yeah. Okay. So I was afraid. Of boys. They're like, he's like an alien creature. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I still went, I, I get, uh, which is weird being very shy, but I, you know, had no problem going going out with him and stuff, but just, You're, yeah. you're the adventurous type. I could I see that. I, I think I, I was. mean, you're stealing ice cream and smoking yeah. in the bathroom. You, you got to have a little adventure spirit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when I met you, my girlfriend at the time was somehow friends with your future husband, Don, but I don't recall how they met. She came knocking on the door as a Hare Krishna asking for... <laughs> food or something <laughs> i don't know if that was in pennsylvania because he he actually had a stint with guru maharaji if you remember that guy but but i think well i all he said was he met her when she knocked on the door as a hari krishna and asking for food i think she went from hari krishna to a, to being a clown yeah and, and uh so she still loves Indian things. I mean, I don't know now. I haven't seen her in a year. I mean, you know, but but she was still, she would like to go to the Indian place that has, gives you free <laughs> free lunch. And, um, and 
Oh, they have they have that festival at the beach every year here. And that too, right, right. Yeah, we should always make me go to that, and there would be <laughs> Hare Krishna's jumping around, you know, in orange <laughs> orange robes and ball, you know, with their heads shaved, and you know, I, I could never figure that out. Like, how can that be enlightening? Like, just jumping up and down and chanting the same thing over and over again. I was like, you look crazy. Do you know that? <laughs> you you guys look like you're insane. So. But I kind of get it now. I mean, your mind is, is, can be torture. You know, if you, you've got thoughts that are constantly reoccurring and you, you're always telling yourself, oh, you're bad or this or that, or this is going to happen or that's going to happen. You know, if something bad's going to happen if you don't do this. You know, people are just worried to death by the, the voice in their head, as Eckhart Tolle calls it. Mm-hmm. And it can get out of hand with a lot of people, you know, and lead to a lot of issues. So I learned all you got to do... Eckhart Tolle says, you know, if, you're, if, you've, if you've got a, a hot potato in your hand, what do you do? You drop it. It's like, don't hold on to the damn potato. I mean, he, he explains things so simply, and you're like, oh, yeah, I don't have to have these thoughts. I'll just turn them off. And you just turn them off. He's like, it doesn't take you a lifetime of spiritual practice. He says, just, you, just, it, you can do it right now. Boom, snap your fingers, and it's done. And he's right. It, it doesn't take any effort at all. And so when I don't want to think about something, I don't have to, you know, That's I just. Great to know. I, yeah, I, I've been haunted by thoughts like, like I very much, I, I should listen to him. But um, so, so I, while you're talking, I'm just thinking when that thought comes in, one particular thought. So I just drop it. Well, yeah. Before I found out about Eckhart Tolle, because I immediately loved listening to him we listened my my wife turned him on on a cd she had in her car and i was just like i was hooked from day one but before that my remedy was i invented something called uh psychic nintendo and i could could kind of feel thoughts creeping into your mental vision that stage that's going on in your mind words would float by and you know people's faces and you see things and thoughts could come in kind of take over your consciousness. I had like a water water pistol, like at the fair, you know, you shoot the water pistol at, at this certain things. When I would feel one of those thoughts coming in, I would just shoot it with this water pistol and obliterate it. Before I even knew what the thought was, I could just feel it was something I shouldn't be thinking about or some worry or anything. And I just would shoot them all in my mind. I would just go bang, bang, you know, shoot them all. And it was a fun game and I, it had the same effect. I got rid of all the bad thoughts, but it's just time consuming. You know, it's not necessary. You just don't think them. If you want to hear something time consuming, I mean, I love that <laughs> idea. That sounds refreshing, actually. <laughs> years, a million years ago, I guess maybe in my early 20s or something, like, okay, I read this book called Seth Speaks. I don't know if you've heard of it. Jane Roberts. I have Seth, heard of it, yeah. Okay, well, Seth, I guess would take over Jane Roberts' body and, and speak through her. So anyway, if there is something that you were thinking that it was a bad thought, I swear, I read a lot, and when I read something that makes me have a bad thought, this is what I say three times um, that I learned from Seth speech from Jane Roberts. I will only respond to constructive suggestion. Try saying that three times. And Ernie, you every single day I say that, I will only respond to constructive just so and now you're telling me I could just instead of having the bad thought instead of having to say I will only respond to constructive suggestion I will only respond instead of saying that three times I could just say drop the thought I mean because that is very time consuming to have to say that again. <laughs> and I've done well, it think about me playing psychic Nintendo all day I mean that's <laughs> <laughs> at least it's fun yeah well but uh yeah you don't have to do that you if once you know what it feels like you just do it it's like nope not gonna do that you just yeah. refuse refuse to do it you just appreciate your surroundings instead yeah but, that's really amazing but I, I gotta tell you that whatever works so if that works for you <laughs> but that's if, great if it's a mouthful <laughs> I do it in my head i can do it way more quickly in my head than have it come out of my mouth at least but uh, still, I like when I come across a word or something that something that I I go, oh, here I go, you know, when I say it. So I'm always stopping in books and just you know, 
Wow, so, so that's really great. I'm gonna try that, yeah. Do you, do you say it out loud? No, just in my head. Oh, okay. Because I you can know, see that would be a problem in public. Like, yes. <laughs> people go, well, wow, she, I must have offended I her. I should do it if, if something's saying, if someone's saying something nasty or something. Just say it out loud? Yeah. Three times. Three times, yeah. By the third time, they're already gone. They're exactly. like, gosh, I'm not talking to her anymore. Yeah. You know, you mentioned jinxing earlier. Yeah. I have this thing I call my opposite thing, which also is a pain in the neck. I cannot say, I, and will not, like, I wouldn't say to somebody, I'm going to do a podcast today at such and such time because no. something would happen. Right. To me. Does that happen to you too? Yeah, I, I've changed my words. I always, you know? you'll notice that when I tell you I'm going to do something, I always say, I plan to do it or I want to do it or yes. I don't ever say I'm going to do it because I don't know what's going to happen and I don't like it when people break their promises. I'm telling you, and therapists call it magical thinking, and I, it's all my life, I mean, anytime I count on anything, the rug is pulled out from under right. me. I, and especially, like, a, if it's a big thing, I won't say a word, and, and sometimes people were angry. Okay, like one time in 2014, right before I had the brain surgery, um, someone gave me a trip to London, uh, an all-expenses-paid trip to talk about Andy. At I this, remember that. Yeah, yeah, the Freeze, an art exhibiting, a Freeze art convention or something. And so, like, I didn't tell anybody except, you know, Don, you know, and stuff. And and when I was there, I wrote to this friend, Andy, and I, I'm thinking nothing of it. And she says, why didn't you tell me? And I said, well, you know, I, I didn't tell anybody because of my opposite thing. And she said, I would have come with you. And it's like, well, she wasn't invited. I, I couldn't invite her, you know. They, they, it's a good they, thing you didn't say anything. I know, but it was all, she said, this is friendship ruining. I said, okay. I mean, you know, I really have to watch what I say to her. Because, but, you know, like, and I couldn't, she's a therapist, so she thought that was insane. What do you mean you couldn't tell me? You know, I said, well, I have this opposite thing, and, you know, and and so they, they don't but anyway, yeah, so, so I had a feeling you might have that too. <laughs> yeah, well, I just, I don't like being disappointed, and I notice, I, I call it pre, pre, premature congratulations. Yeah, um, oh, that's great, that's uh, great. <laughs> um, we had a, we, used, we invented a dart game, and you couldn't celebrate till the very, you know, till you actually knew who the winner was, because it jinxed it, and we would say that's premature congratulations, and you know, if somebody was celebrating that they are they're going to win or that you know before they've actually won, right. they would actually be penalized in the dark oh, game. Wow! wow. <laughs> so we just called it premature congratulations. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I'm always saying that now. I'm like, don't don't count your chickens before they hatch. Oh really. my gosh! Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. But so <laughs> you uh, you mentioned you mentioned Andy a few times, and I wanted to get to some of that because he was my absolute comic idol when I first saw him Saturday mm -hmm. Night Live was the first time I ever saw him. And right. I did not know what, we're talking about Andy Kaufman, I did not know what hit me. I was like, what did I just see? You know, I mean before that, was it about the same time Steve yes, Martin? it was about the same time. But I was a huge Steve Martin fan, I, yeah. and I proclaimed him the funniest man on earth, like yeah. boldly proclaimed, this is the funniest man on earth. Yeah. And then Andy came along, I somehow I like stumbled onto him on Saturday, I, I just went, what in the hell is going on? <laughs> They're just responding the way I did to Andy Kaufman. Yes. But to and then finding out that you actually were friends with him, and actually did some performances with him, and used to oh, hang yeah. out. I was like, "What?" I was like, "Geez, I, you know, that to me is just such an incredible gift." You know, it. He came into my life in such a magical way. I mean, it's like it. it it's just so incredible. You know how it, how it all happened, and really. Aside from my natural family that I was born with, every good thing that I have in my life, well, I should say, or some friends I had before, right, you know, in case they listen to the podcast. Um, anyway, um, everything 
one one way or another came through Andy. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, because like I met that friend that we both knew, your your former girlfriend, because she was living in the house Cork Hubbard. Um, he the the little Corky Cork, Cork Hubbard. I met him with Andy, and and that's so I I met. I called Cork and Alice answered the phone. <laughs> uh, maybe I shouldn't have said the name. Oh, um, is that how you met? Yes, yeah, I, I was calling him and I said, who's this? And, and Alice- You were calling was, Corky. What yeah, was his last name? I can't Hubbard. remember. Corky Cork Hubbard. Hubbard. Yeah. He was, he, he was like a, a little person, right? He, he, he wasn't a midget. He was like bigger than a midget. I guess he was a dwarf. A dwarf. He was an under the rainbow. I mean, he was an actor. He he worked quite a bit after. Right, right. Yeah, I remember that. And um, a, a really nice guy, and so intelligent politically and stuff. Oh my gosh, I could, really? I didn't. Oh my I, I only gosh. met him. I only met him a couple times, but you know, at parties oh. and stuff. Uh huh. Yeah, love parties. That's for sure. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then um. So Alice, I was trying to get rid of Barry, who lived next door to Alice. He, he had been my temporary boyfriend for two years, but I was sort of addicted. I couldn't get rid of him. And that's why Alice picked me up when he went out of town. But, and then I met, so that's how I met Don. But I mean, none of that would have happened had I not met Cork through Andy. I see. Yeah, so everything always leads back to Andy. Now, well, let me ask you something. Um, so that's the, about the time that my girlfriend and I were together. And so that's how I met Corky. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously how I met you, too. Yes. And then you and Don, you and your husband and, and I and, and, and my girlfriend at the time, we sort of did some double dating and stuff. One, one time we slept on the beach, and I don't know if that's in Mexico. Yeah, I remember that, oh my gosh. And, and I think they were both able to sleep and you and I weren't. Well, and we, they, we were on the outside or something. We, yeah, we're, we're like two couples in a beach, in a, in a tent. <laughs> and oh when, when you and I, we couldn't sleep, when we woke up, they were together. And like, we were just like, like what are we, chopped liver? You know? Oh, that was so funny. And I think they were both able to be comfortable and sleep, but maybe, I don't know. Well, they were snuggling. Oh, that's so funny. They were between the middle, and somehow we both got ignored on either <laughs> side. And they're like spooning or something. I don't know. We woke up, and we're like, what the hell? I'm freezing over here. And they, <laughs> they, they were coupling in the middle, and you and I were on the ends going, what the heck? Somehow overnight, we swapped partners, and you and I ended up without partners. <laughs> but, I mean, I mean, cause my girlfriend knew your husband to begin with. Yeah. So they had more of a history than either one of us had. Oh, absolutely. So we're all oh. like, we just kind of got left out on that deal. Well, hey, a warm body on the beach. What? Well, what well, if you remember, it was freezing cold. That's what I was going to say. I swear to you, I was going to say that we were, you and I were so cold because like they were probably hogging all the blankets <laughs> in the middle. But then I didn't say that because I thought, well, wait, wouldn't a beach in Mexico be warm? But I do remember freezing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, I mean, if you sleep on the beach, it's, I don't think it's always that warm. I mean, you get that marine layer coming in and you get the wind and, you know, pretty sure. I'm remembering yeah. when we drove home, Don being a geographer, or he wasn't a geographer yet, but he would not ask for directions and we drove like two hours in the wrong direction. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, you, guys, I mean, he, he wouldn't ask for directions. To this day, he won't, but. That's, men are notorious for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we went way out of the way. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I love how your dogs always respond. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so you met, you were friends with Corky through Andy? Like, or which, who did you meet first? Oh, Andy. Like, he and um, 
Cork weren't really friends, oh. but, but we were all at the crossroads on Sunset or Hollywood Boulevard, there, that place. Sun, it's Sunset, yeah. Okay, and we, we happened to be in there, and Cork was there, and he came to say hi to Andy, so Andy said hi. You know, like sometimes show, I've seen show business people go up and say hi to each other, even if they, they're not really. And then I guess I must have seen Cork at the improv and I sort of befriended him, you know, and he and I became friends. Um, yeah. But, but he and Andy weren't really friends. Oh, but. okay. So when did you meet Andy? I'm sound like I'm like, I feel like I work for the Star Magazine or something. <laughs> okay, well, I was engaged, believe it or not, to a TM teacher, you know, Transcendental Meditation. And he was very good looking, like we're, we worked together at ABC Dunhill, the record company, and males and females would have crushes on him, you know, and they, and I, I don't, he, he, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say, but anyway, when he realized what am I doing with her, he got rid of me by sending me to a TM Academy up north in a beautiful place called Cobb Mountain. Definitely his loss. Like what it was, was the TM teachers would come there for a retreat and they'd stay. And a few of the people who played instruments are saying like we would make little shows. Uh -huh. So any, anyway, one of the girls who was dancing in one of the shows. Okay, so basically, and then I came home after seven months and, and I realized it was over with the guy. And, um, you know, he really didn't. So, so um I thought, okay, instead of being heartbroken, I just ate everything in sight and I put on a ton of weight. I mean, oh my God. And then to top that off, um, I accidentally, my hair had been down to my waist, you know, I accidentally cut it off like into a butch haircut. Accidentally? <laughs> How do you do that? I was cutting my bangs and so I cut bangs because Jane Fonda, I liked that she had some bangs and I thought, oh, I think I'll do that. So I cut bangs and it's cutting on one side of my head. And suddenly my hair was like, I guess, up to my, above my neck on one side. <laughs> on the other side, it was still down to my waist. And so I had to chop the other side off too. And I mean, oh my gosh. I, so anyway, it, it was terrible. And so I would be wearing, my, my mom happened to have these elephant pants. I, they were just huge pants that were huge legs. And <laughs> this isn't going well, is it? <laughs> so bad. And so then, um, so then, and then like a, a shirt that was like a maternity shirt, a friend of mine, I mean, on me, it looked like a maternity shirt. And so, so I got a letter from the, the girl who I hardly knew at the TM Academy. She had danced. I, she was just adorable. And she, she danced in the, our little shows. And so she wrote me a letter saying, I met this guy and I told him if he goes to LA, he, he has to contact me. She met him at another TM Academy. And, and um, so I thought, okay, whatever. And she says, so he'll call you when he comes to LA. So I thought, whatever, I didn't know what he was or anything, <laughs> but I had less than, okay, I was seeing a psychiatrist, like, for free downtown. Over a bad haircut? <laughs> and, um, and so he was giving me these pills, and they weren't perfected like the ones they have now, I guess. You know, uh -huh. all I could do was sit and, like, shake. I couldn't <gasps> do anything. I couldn't, <sighs> yeah, I, 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 like, couldn't do anything you know and and so andy so one day this guy calls me he goes hello and and i i said hello and he 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 said he met so and so and she said to look me up and um if he ever came to la so why she did that i have no idea so um so she was friends with andy and that's who you're talking no about? no oh, she, um. she just she went to another academy and he performed there and she went up to him. I mean, this is like, I'm not a religious person. I'm just going to say, by the grace of God, somehow she goes up to him and says, if you ever go to LA, you have to meet this girl. And I mean, she's somebody, she was so adorable. She reminds me, reminded me of that friend who dumped me when I was 10, broke my heart. So uh -huh. I had to hang out with the bad girls. 
I would have loved being her friend, but I hardly knew her, so it's so amazing. So he calls me and he says, would you like to come to my bungalow and meet me? I go, sure, like I had anything else to do. So I go knock on his door. And I mean, you know, I'm not a very confident person at my best, but like, you know, when, when however much I weighed, you know, like I'm very short, so I wanna say, I mean, I don't know how much I weighed, but it, it was like a lot and, and a butch haircut. So he opens the door and I said, hi, I'm Wendy. You know, like I, I just, you know, the self-hatred was like pouring out of me. I was, I was so apologetic, you know, of, of who I was. What, you know, and so- <laughs> I could see you at the door knocking and going, uh, pardon me for existing, but- <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> that's exactly, well, anyway, so he asked me in, okay, and we sat there, we spent the whole day together, and he was sitting there um, on the, he was on his couch watching a father knows best weeping, you know, like actual tears, and um, and he, he had lunch, um, he would count the, the nuts, like he would have, say, three almonds for, you know, and, and um, in fact, he was, he was dating Cindy Williams from the Laverne and Show, and she broke up with him because he counted his nuts. I mean, she thought that I can't take it, you know. But anyway, so so he loved that I hated myself. I mean, there was just something about my self-hatred that really, you know, that that he really liked. So so you know we spent the day together and then the next day he called and we spent that day together you know we we would i forgot exactly what we did the next day you know probably we might have gone to see a movie like he he used to like to see charlie chaplin chaplin movies at the art museum or whatever he loved charlie chaplin you know we just hung out together and then and like i would sit there thinking this guy's a performer i just you know he was like so quiet just a nice quiet guy, you know, and I could not imagine him acting or performing or anything, you know, I just, I just couldn't see it, you know, but we hung out for a few days, and then he said, um, he said, would you like to do something at the improv, you know, would you like to go to this place called the improv, it was new, you know, and, and um, so he said, what's the worst thing that happened to you, so I said, okay, well, I told him, I'm just laughing because <laughs> this other guy broke up with me, not the one I was <laughs> engaged to. At that time, I did try to kill myself. Oh so my God. I, I was mixing the two up. So, because um, he wanted a tiger in bed. So, like, Andy said, okay, will you go on stage and do that? And I said, sure. So, we go, we go to the improv. And, and I go on stage and I told my story and, and I said, you know, he wanted a tiger in bed. So we broke up and then I tried to kill him. And then I got off stage and then Andy gets up and he was a real pro. He talked about, I, you might've seen him actually do this on one of the shows later he did, you know, where his wife left him and he was an alcoholic and blah, blah, blah. But I could tell that night, I thought, oh, well, he, he's a pro. He really, you know, knows how to do this, you know, and, and I sure didn't. And then he introduced me afterwards. He brought me into the, um, to me, Bud, I guess he was in the kitchen. And he said, so what do you think of my little friend, Wendy? And Bud says, I don't have time for this. So I, and from that moment on, I was so afraid of Bud, you know, and Bud was like everything, you know, cause I really wanted to perform at the improv and stuff, but I was terrified of Bud cause you know, he, he, he just kind of, I don't have time for this. But anyway, so Andy and I kept hanging out. And, oh, and then I guess a couple days later, Andy said, I mean, we were still hanging out. And he said, would you like to see my act? And I said, sure. I mean, of course, yeah. So, and I was driving a Volkswagen thing at the time. So, <laughs> although he just lived, he just, I mean, he was staying like just a block or two from the improv. So, um, so we went to the improv and he did his act. And I mean, I had never even been anywhere, you know, Jay Leno gets up and Jay, he was great at the time, Jay Leno. Really? Yeah. And you know, I mean, all these people, you know, I, I, it, the whole place was amazing to me. It was like walking into this, you know, but seeing Andy live, I mean, I was so 
you know, this guy, this quiet, unassuming guy gets up there, does his whole act from foreign man to the Elvis, to the Congress, to the, well, I couldn't talk to him afterwards. I literally was speechless. And so, so he, you know, but I took, I took him home in the, um, in the thing because, um, because he had his little brief, I mean, his little uh, valise, this little suitcase with his props and stuff in it. Right. So, um, so I drove, and I literally, I couldn't talk in, in the car and stuff. And, you know, and I tried to get the words out and, and somehow he, I mean, I was, I was literally was awestricken. Yeah. And, and so, but somehow he kept calling me every single day and we would, we would see each other every single day. And, and then he would say, would you like to sing a song? And I'd say, okay. And he's, he'd say, do you know Sue City Sue? And I'd say, no. And he'd say, okay, well, would you like to sing? And I go, okay. And so, so we would sing Sioux City Sioux and I wouldn't know the words, but I would sing along anyway. And then we would go to the improv and he would say, he says, you know, would you like to be my little sister? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll introduce you as my little, and I go, sure. So he would say, now my little sister, my sister, little Wendy will come up and sing a song with me. And so I would go up and, um, Every, every single night he was here, I would go on stage with him and we, I would sing something I didn't know. And even like, <laughs> you know, after a while, like one time, and there's even, this is even, there's a tape of this I saw somewhere not that long ago. Um, Richard Beamer, well, anyway, my mom was in the show, like there was a show called Midnight Snacks he did after the improv would close and I think it started at 12 I guess that's what it would, or whatever and um and my mom would he would call her our mom and she would I mean so it, it we really were like a family he was like my big brother you know so so um and and then when I started to lose weight because you know that night well needless to say I got just a, a tremendous crush on him, you know, because I, I you well, know, you're hanging was, out with you're hanging out with Elvis. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And so, I mean, and, and like just every single day, but I still was very shy with him and stuff. And he, he loved that, though. But the more so then, like he went away he would go to New York and I would pick him up from the airport when he got back. And one time, like I had lost a whole bunch of weight. And and my hair grew back and stuff and um, but the, the more the more confident I got, I think the less he liked it because he he liked fat um you know he, he he loved the one that that hated herself and you know for I only very very recently realized how sweet and wonderful that was I mean I always knew what a gift he had given me you know by having me perform with him, because it was just so incredible, but also just being so accepting of me. And I really feel like I look like a real ogre now, but it, if Andy were alive, I just know he he would make a crazy character out of me and, and bring me up as whatever, you know, <laughs> lunatic, great, great, Miss Crazy Guggenheim or whatever, you know, and he, he would see the best in this and know what to do with it. And I'll just say, you know, I, I didn't always just sing a song with him. Sometimes I would dance. He, he would tell me or do, he would take like a little scene out of, um, oh God, what was that movie with Fellini, Fellini, I don't know if it was the satiricon or what, but anyway, I would be like the Giuliana and Messina one, you know, he, he would just have me do some with maracas and stuff. I, I wouldn't even know, I would do whatever he said, but whenever I was on stage with him, I, I would, oh my God, I was never nervous. It was just always a joy because I was, he had such, cap I knew I was in such capable hands and he had the audience. I don't, I don't know if it's in the palm of his hand, but I mean, just, he totally controlled that audience. Like you, right. he, whatever he wanted that he got out of them. And, and it, it was just amazing. Oh, well, I, I'm, he really, as far as his 
control of the audience. Like, you know, when he would do that, I'm another Kachuichiwa, and, and everybody had everybody in the audience repeat after. Yeah. Like, he would he'd start out kind of simple. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, everybody would just. or something. Right. And Konichiwa, Konichiwa. How the Yeah. And then yeah. a whole big long sentence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nobody knew what Abu Dhabi was at the time. I mean, now. It, oh, right. You know, yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it's in the news, so you kind of know, but. But he was always so many steps ahead of the audience, they just couldn't keep up. Yeah, and, but seeing him live was, was just magical. I mean, there was just some, I mean, because I would watch night after night after night, and he would do the exact same thing every night. You know, they all would, Jay would, and, um, you, you know, I mean, uh, whoever else was there. Jay was the bit best, actually. I was so happy for him when he got, uh, the Tonight Show because he so deserved it. I mean, I knew he, he had been doing that for years and was already so good the first time I ever saw him. Um, now, I, I used to hang out at the comedy store and I okay. never saw, the only people I would see there was Robin Williams and uh, Richard Pryor. <gasps> wow. Um, and, you know, they would just walk in off the street. Um, yeah. Oh, that's right. Did you see Richard Pryor perform? Yeah. How was it? It was great. My sister happened to be in town that night, um, and we went to just because that's where I usually went. And um, we were in the little room, you know, the belly room. Yeah. And and Richard Pryor got up on stage. He, he I think he just walked. You know, they would come in and try out their sets. You know, just off the street. Mm -hmm. And Richard Belzig was there, like was kind of the MC. He was doing his yeah. act, and and uh, Richard Pryor came in, and they just let. Richard Pryor kind of take over the stage. Of they course, just you know right, give him right. the seas would part, you know. Yeah. And this was after he got burned up freebasing. Oh so he'd recovered. He just recovered, and was just starting out with his some new acts, you know, some trying out some new material. And he got uh, he he got up and and uh, he's just chatting, you know, really just kind of shooting the shit with the audience. And then he pulls out a cigarette and he goes to light it. And there, there was a black guy behind me. He goes, "Watch that fire, Richard!" And and he just stopped. And he kind of looked at the guy, kind of annoyed. And he goes, "Can't a guy burn up once without getting?" <laughs> <laughs> it was such a great line. Everything. Wow. Oh my God, we cracked up laughing. And then Robin Williams came uh, at one point. I think he was more or less riffing with uh, Richard Belzig, and it was just a madhouse, you know. Um, um, and I think Richard Belzig tried to keep up, but eventually he just backed off. He just went, it's all your stage, man. Oh, yeah, nobody could keep up with him. Yeah, that. you just get out of this man's yeah, way. Exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, that was, that was crazy. Those are only two memorable nights. No, wait a minute. One night, Joe Rogan yelled at a heckler so loud that it just left the entire audience shell-shocked. We were scared to move afterwards. But I, did, I only started going to the, the comedy store, I mean, the, the, the improv later on, because they had food. You know, you could go there for dinner. Right. And it was, you know, people would come in from out of town, and we'd go there for dinner and, and then watch the show. So I missed all those early years when you were there and... Yeah. You know, Andy and, and Jay. I never saw Jay perform live. Now, didn't Alice, wasn't she in some kind of little troupe with Sam Kinison at the comedy store? Like, didn't she? I think so. Yeah. And I thought you, did you not perform there at all? I performed at the comedy store just when Andy had a show. I performed at the belly room doing my songs on my own later. But with Andy, he did a night in the Big room. Oh, could I tell you a Tony? My first, or this was a Tony Clifton thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. Well, first, Andy, I was okay. So I went on with Andy, and for some reason, I was wearing a tutu and and doing some kind of ballerina thing in with him as as his little sister, I guess. And um, and then he got off, and Tony Clifton was gonna come on, and um. So I just remember them saying, ladies and gentlemen, please extinguish your cigarettes. Mr. Clifton will not come out when anyone's smoking. And they kept announcing that until finally, you know, no one was smoking. And then Tony comes out holding a cigarette. Right. And I just, 
Yeah, I thought that was the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw that. I was like, oh my, you're so played. You feel so played in the audience. Yes, yes yeah. But could you tell me the story you mentioned? Was it last night or, you, you know, that you could, did Tony before Tony did Tony? Yeah, I will, Wendy, but because we're out of time, I think we're going to have to save that story for part three of this episode. In the meantime, I thank you again for coming on and spilling the beans and giving the audience the sordid details of your life as a Hollywood bad girl, juvenile ice cream thief, and wannabe greaser while dating an underage TV heartthrob superstar and his even younger brother, swapping partners on the beaches of Mexico, your forays with fiancés and food, and partnership with one of the most notorious and uproariously creative anti-comedian song and dance men of all time, your pal, the late, great Andy Kaufman. I want to encourage everyone to stick around after the show for the Grey Matter Jukebox featuring Andy on congas singing in one of his earlier shows at the Improv in the late 1970s. Be sure to check out the links in the description for related content and whatever you do, don't stray too far because we may be crazy, but we may just be the lunatics you're looking for. Turn out the lights. Good night, everybody. Yorps, you're still in Wolf Nighter. The opinions used in conspiracy theories expressed on the program are solely for entertainment purposes and should in no way be construed as fact. Listeners are urged to do their own research and draw their own conclusions on the topics discussed. All material copyright Global Pandemic Productions 2020. Closing music by the All Human Parts Orchestra. Available on both Bandcamp and SoundClick.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah,